I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Welcome to this amazing episode of Beauty Bosses. Today, I'm so pleased to be joined by Kate Ward and Lindsay Mannering from Bustle, which, as everybody knows, is one of the most popular digital-focused media companies um, that there is right now. Um, Bustle is kind of an amazing media website phenomenon. Um, You guys are really killing it. You're getting 80 million visitors and readers a month, um, and you are number one in engagement for all digital platforms for women, which is incredible. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Thanks. Feels good to be called phenomenal. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, you know, I have to explain how great you guys are um, in case you don't do it yourselves. So Kate, you are the editor-in-chief of Bustle Media, which is comprised of Bustle, Elite Daily, Romper, and The Zoe Report. That's correct. And Lindsay, you are the Vice President of Editorial Strategy for the whole BDG Media Group. Correct. Yeah. Amazing. So I want to hear a little bit from you guys about, first of all, what what is Bustle in your own words? What is Bustle? Um, well, Bustle as a site is a uh, truly a just destination for women who are looking to relate, looking to find something to empower themselves. Um, and we've been able to expand that mission across all of our sites, which we're really super proud of, uh, to be able to create a destination for women who are passionate about you know, fashion, passionate about motherhood, you know, passionate about making themselves better. And um, and improving the world around them. So um, we've been really excited to be able to kind of build this this uh, conglomerate in a way that that is able to really uh, engage with its women readers as authentically as it does. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. It's feminist. It's inclusive. It's sort of one of a kind. You can go to different websites and read about certain topics, but at Bustle, we were fortunate enough to really grow it and find the women to contribute who care about a vast majority of topics that um, I think gives us a unique perspective on like politics, news, TV, even everything from Pretty Little Liars to Big Little Lies to what Trump is saying. You know, we've got it covered from smart women, smart young women too, who are speaking to themselves. Yeah, Yeah. which is really amazing. And just thinking about the number 80 million, so 80 million readers of your site, if you think about the fact that there are, what, 300 million Americans, half of them are women, so 150 million, that, you know, that 80 million readers a month is, that that's amazing. That means like, you know, I'm sure you have a global reach, so maybe one in three American women is reading Bustle and yeah. Bustle-related sites. Yeah, we're, we're very, very proud of that. And, you know, both that's Lindsay incredible. and myself yeah. were, were there on, you know, the first initial days where we'd be looking at our numbers and it would be, you know, 13 people would be reading us <laughs> in any given day. And it was mostly our moms. And, you yeah. know, that felt good at the time. But, you know, we, needed, we knew we needed more. But um, to be able to uh, create content that really resonates with an audience of that many women 
um, it helps us know that we're doing something right and that we're doing something that women really want. And I think that that's, that's what really kind of gets us going every day. Yeah. And we've had a huge, like a few stories of, um, oh, don't think of the numbers, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're not focused on them, which we're not, but you have to take moments throughout the quarter or the year to remember that you're reaching a vast majority of women and how can we serve them even better, you know? So we don't want to ignore the, the size of the audience, but you also don't want to be sort of weighted down by it. Yeah, and it's actually a lot of responsibility because right now, so we'll talk about your growth story in a second because that is amazing and deserves its own section of this conversation. But you grew from one to seven editors and you have about 25 writers right now. Is that right? Uh, we, we started with about seven people actually and we now have uh, close to 80 editors. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, and about 150 writers. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so that's we've grown a huge quite quite yeah. since okay. then. So it's like 250 full-time employees <laughs> yes. when we started with like four or five um, and about 500 part-time employees. So those that's are rounding amazing. up, but it's about. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. amazing. But it's, you know, if you think about that scope, 250 full-time employees, 500 part-time employees, but you're influencing the thoughts and minds of 80 million women. That's a lot of responsibility. Right, but we're also, uh, you know, inviting them in to speak with us too. I think that that's, that's really, like they're influencing us as much as we're influencing them. And I think that's what we really enjoy most about the process is that we want more voices. We want more women to contribute to, to Bustle, to Elite Daily, to Zoe Report, to Romper. Um, and that way, you know, they're also teaching us something every day. And it's, it's a two-way street, which is, is a really satisfying thing to be part of. Did Bustle fill a void in the internet landscape or do you think it unseated some previously dominant challengers? Um, you know, I, what, what I noticed when we uh, joined Bustle was that there was a lack of a, a women's site that, um, you know, served women on a 24-7 basis that was there for them every step of the way in any topic that they might be interested in. And I found myself as a reader having to go to CNN for my news, to, uh, you know, E! Online for my entertainment news, and then fashion, I had to go to magazines. And, you know, being able to kind of put that all together in one place, I think really did satisfy a need for a millennial women specifically who did want to talk about all this stuff all at once and wanted to find a place to see it all and see it around the clock. Um, you know, traditionally, a lot of media was not publishing on the weekends, wasn't publishing at night or anything. And we very quickly did that um, within a few months, if not almost immediately, we were running from, you know, until 10 o'clock at night at the very least. And then, you know, over the weekend as well, keeping our eye on things. So um, that immediacy, I think, was lacking a little bit more in women's media. And, you know, we're proud to be able to bring that to the table. Yeah, yeah. that's really amazing. And understanding the mobile generation too, mm -hmm. like understanding that, like Kate said, they're not stopping. So that doesn't mean when their laptops close that they're not searching for things. They're searching for things on their phone when they're watching TV, when they're out with their friends, they have questions before a date. And we were able to serve that need. Yeah, yeah that's so prescient and really smart of you guys. Um, okay, so now I want to take it back to the beginning um, and learn a little bit more about your origin story. I know that Kate I was reading that you always had a passion for journalism and that you were in the high school newspaper and you went to journalism. <laughs> you went to journalism camp, which I didn't know was a thing, yep. but I, you know, I went to music camp, so I can't really talk. Um, and then you went on to study journalism at 
Northwestern. And then tell us a little bit about, so that you're clearly passionate in this one area, mm -hmm. but tell us a little bit about how those early passions translated into bustle. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, it was something that I started very early. Um, you know, I, I always consider myself a writer, uh, whether that was, you know, writing little children's books for myself growing up. But um, also once I got, was 14 years old in junior high, I started on the, the high school newspaper. And um, it was the first time that I really, I really recognized that I was attached to something. I was good at something and I was, you know, I was being praised for work that was not math or, or, you know, English class or something like that. It was actually something that it was tangible that I could put my hands on that I could react to the world around me and not just what was in a textbook. Um, and that felt new and interesting and different and, and just very natural. And I settled into it pretty quickly. And then, um, I ended up going to journalism camp at Northwestern. It's, it's called, um, they call it the chair program, but it's national high school, high school Institute. And that was a five-week immersive program where I learned everything that I needed to know about journalism. And from there on, I was totally sold. I felt like I was with my people. They got me. They knew what I wanted to do. Um, and then I just followed that path. Uh, and it was he heavily influenced, too, by the fact that when I grew up, my, my mother very much got me involved in a lot of, you know, Hollywood stuff. Like, you know, I was watching all the MGM movies and all that kind of stuff. So I ended up merging my interest for uh, entertainment and and Hollywood into my interest for journalism and then when I graduated school I started at Entertainment Weekly um, and initially my whole goal was to become a uh, you know a features editor writing profiles about celebrities for Vanity Fair that was my whole thing was I was gonna eventually write <laughs> profiles for Vanity Fair um, but then digital media happened and that was something that like the speed of it the the um, just the excitement of, of every day in digital media really really attracted me and that brought me to more of like a management role and, and more like overseeing uh, making sure that the wheels are turning properly um, and then that's sort of where I started deviating and, and yeah still haven't written that celebrity profile though, for Vanity Fair <laughs> maybe one day maybe it'll happen yeah you maybe never know, you never know. <laughs> um, okay and then um, how did Bustle happen? I know that you joined forces with Brian Goldberg in 2013. Mm -hmm. um, you brainstormed ideas from a sofa, mm -hmm. and then you created Bustle. Basically, that's sort of how it came <laughs> okay. together. Um, at the time, I, I left EW to go work at Hollywood.com to relaunch that, and I was there for uh, a little less than a year. And then Brian reached out to me looking to, to create this, you know, cool new women's site. And I, and I couldn't really say no to start something from the ground up. Um, and so uh, I joined him and he kind of let us take the wheels and say, what do you want to do with this site? What do you want it to turn into? What should it look like? What should it sound like? Um, and he gave us all the power and, and we created something that we thought was really cool to start. Brought Lindsay on um, a few months afterwards and uh, we grew it into what it was and just tried to make sure that it was as relatable as possible. And I think what you said, sitting on a sofa and coming up with ideas, that was a big, big part of why we were successful. So we were all sitting around talking to each other about what do we want to see? What, what haven't we seen? Like what's, what needs to be covered that nobody's talking about right now? And then we put that on the site and everybody resonated with it. And because it was conversations happening in every other living room, just not the ones that people were working <laughs> alongside each other yeah. on. But um, but that strategy really just took off and it worked and it, it's really a credit to all the amazing women around us every day that we work with. It's, it's truly a team effort. It's nobody's one big idea or anything. So, so, and you were pretty young when that happened, right? I was 28, I think we launched. Yeah. 
Okay, because I know that you earned yourself a spot on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list for media as a result of bustle and all of these kind of pretty incredible accomplishments. Right. I made it with, I think, one month to spare. I think I got it early <laughs> January. My birthday's at the end of January. So I, I was like, you're <laughs> like under the wire. Okay. Good. I made it. But yeah, that was that was a, a pretty cool accomplishment um, to be able to, to, to say that. That's pretty awesome. I know. I'm 39 and I'm like, I better I better get on that 40 under 40 <laughs> list. I'm running out of time. I just had a birthday. I'm like, okay. <laughs> It's this year or bust. Um, okay, so Lindsay, you joined Bustle in those extremely early days in 2013. And um, tell us a little bit about your background. Like, what led you to that point? Um, compared to Kate's resume, <laughs> I should give anyone hope who never had direction in her life and was able to um, succeed, I think. Um, uh, after graduating college, Boston College, I um, was an English major in creative writing, but um, uh, I think that's obvious then that I had no job after I graduated and I wanted to teach sailing and I moved to Florida. My big idea was to sail professionally and sail transatlantically and that was never going to take off. So I moved to New York without a job thinking I'll just um, start a writing career. Um, but that wasn't as easy as uh, I thought, and it took me about seven years to finally get a full-time job in the editorial world. And up until then, I was working um, in jewelry sales and fashion and some marketing stuff. And on the side, I was freelancing as much as possible, just getting my clips up. And then um, started at the Huffington Post as a style editor, and then over at Cafe Mom. And then I got a call from Brian Goldberg in April of 2013, and met Kate in May, and then uh, sat those couches and brainstormed this site. Um, that we called Bustle back then, and still do. Um, but uh, it was a, a, a more meandering path than Kate's. Um, but I like that because it's that you guys are both total bosses who are completely changing this company and brand and media and women's issues, but you came at it from completely different paths. And I feel like that's really valuable to hear about because there are a lot of successful entrepreneurs who are super driven and they like stay on the road and then there are others who come at it because they listen to what serendipity is putting in front of them so oh I like that spin serendipity. Uh, yeah. yeah yeah and I like that yeah. I'm um, in the same place you just had more fun along the way <laughs> <laughs> a little more stress too because I really wanted it the whole time but I couldn't get the the foothold that I felt like I I uh, wanted it like so soon. It just took me a little longer to get there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how did you guys come up with the name Bustle? Uh, well, we actually, I, we, neither Googled of us that. are the ones yeah. that came up with it specifically, but uh, the way that the process came together is we all put together a Google Doc and everybody put in possible names of you know, what the site could be called. And that's when I learned that I'm not good at naming things <laughs> at all. All my suggestions were terrible. Um, what were some suggestions that were really bad? I don't even... The only one I can really remember is... I think I suggested, like, the XX Project because it was, oh, like, so double... Bad. Yeah, I know, but you know what? Like, at the time, I was like, oh, like, it's, like, a project, and it's, like, for women, so yeah. it's, like, XX Chromosome. That. I mean, for another project, maybe it would be good, but for this, it was a big not... band. Is it really? The XX. It oh, was like a really oh, cool okay. band. <laughs> Maybe we've been able to do it. But, uh, but yeah. We should cover it was... them on Bustle. Yeah, right? 
So it took a lot of brainstorming on a lot of people's parts. Um, and eventually that was the one that stuck out in terms of like, it really captured an energy that, that, you know, again, like we talked about 24 seven, like delivering hustle and, yeah, yeah. hustle and bustle. And it was like, I mean, it's constantly moving and, you know, constantly hustling and everything. Um, so it just, it just like rolled off the tongue in a way that none of the others did. So, um, and we went through the whole process again when we launched Romper too, which we named and, you know, that was another bunch of really bad ideas from my part and then landing on Romper, which was good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. (laughs) So, um, I want to hear a little bit about kind of the unique ways that you guys got a foothold in this market. And I read a little bit about your trajectory and I know that you focused not only on after hours weekend night content sort of the continuous news cycle which you know now we completely take for granted but at a time was very new mm-hmm. um, tell us also how social media played into your strategy mm-hmm. so social has been a big part since the beginning um, you know we have an amazing social team led by our director of social media Haley Saltzman and you know she's really taken the reins and run with it and it's focused a lot on relatability and engagement those key metrics that you know we 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 talk about a lot like we really want to make sure that we're connecting with our readers not just putting our brand out there and saying you know read bustle because we're here it's more giving people a reason to read us and that's to to really you know help them understand that we understand them at the same time so, um, you know, we did a lot on Instagram, um, you know, not only with memes that are really connecting with people, but also uh, Instagram stories. You know, the day that that launched, we had a strategy of being able to, to create a custom series that we felt like our, our viewers would watch almost like TV. And at that time, you know, obviously nobody was doing that because um, there were no, it was just brand new uh, medium. But, but um, you know, everything that you saw on Instagram stories was based on like five things you should read today and all of that but being able to kind of program it almost as if it's TV covered seven days a week is something that we really brought to the table that was brand new. So um, so that was a really cool way to use social to kind of innovate in a way that's not even directly related to traffic, but more related to you know getting people to really get our brand and understand what we stand for. So um, that's the thing that jumps out at me. I don't know if you can think of anything else. Yeah, you... we just talked about what we wanted to see as consumers ourselves. You know, a lot of the publishers that we followed were, were sending links via the social platforms, and we knew that that's not how we wanted to engage with that content right away. So what did we love on Instagram? And it was mostly what was making us laugh and what we would show mm-hmm. our friends, and be like, oh my gosh, this is so me. So that's how the, I think we're now at like 1.5 or 1.3 million followers on Bustle's mm-hmm. Instagram because of that strategy. We knew that people would come back for that because it made them laugh. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting when you say that because there are a lot of situations where an entrepreneur is their own best customer. And do you guys feel like that's applicable in your situation? Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing that we've tried to really hang our hat on this whole time is the fact that we are our readers and we understand what they want. This is not some sort of top-down company where you know, you have somebody at the top, whether it's me or Lindsay or our CEO saying that, like, no, our readers want to read this and make sure to put it in there. Um, instead, we're asking even, you know, the, the most junior employees at our company, our writers and, you know, people who um, are the people we want to reach. Like, what do they want to see? We always want those new ideas. To not have those new ideas really would, would sell us short and not allow us to be able to continue to help to understand what we're trying to reach every day. Yeah, I think that's really neat. I feel that way also with my business. Like, I feel like I'm my client. Um, 
you know, and I think that there's something that's valuable in there. Or, you know, kind of what you learn when you're an English major in college to write what you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's really an interesting idea. How does it affect your day-to-day? Well, I, I don't know. I feel like it allows me to speak to people like mm-hmm. intelligent, articulate, um, you know, well-informed other people. You know, I don't, I think of the business of aesthetic medicine and plastic surgery um, as someone who is um, a smart, busy person who wants to look and feel great, but is not obsessed with any of that stuff. And, you know, I think of it as not a zero sum game, which I think is a little bit of a new way to look at this world that you, it's not a dichotomy of, do you care about your looks or do you care about your brain? It's like you can be a woman of substance and exist in the world and be out there having family, you know, accomplishing goals, hosting a podcast, meeting interesting people, having friends, like doing stuff in the world, reading the newspaper, um, having a career. And then you can also want to wear red lipstick or buy a pair of shoes or like if you want to get Botox or whatever. There's a, to me, it decriminalizes something that is a little bit of a more touchy subject. But that's just kind of my two cents. Totally. So, um, I wanted to ask you guys a little bit about kind of the backstory um, of the challenges behind Bustle. I know you alluded to earlier when you guys were looking at your page views in the early days and you had 13 readers. I'm going to correct Kate because (laughs) it was nine readers and she, it was probably in August and we fully launched maybe in July, so just like four weeks in. And of course, Kate was also getting married that first like couple of months during. Oh, launch, so you so had nothing on your mind. Nothing yeah. on her mind at all, and she had finally taken like a day off. And I remember being in our little brownstone in Brooklyn and looking at concurrence, and it said nine. And I was like, "What have I done? <laughs> what are we doing here? Kate's gone. There's no one to talk to about how we're going to solve this problem. How do we get more people on the site?" And I think I remember emailing her or something when she came back, and she was just like, "Just." stay true to the mission and that's going to get us an audience and I mean I don't think anyone could have predicted that that would be as successful as it was without <laughs> advice but um yeah it was nine 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 people full stop not nine million not nine thousand just, just nine or hard-earned so what advice do you have for people who are trying to either break into the world of writing or writing a blog or starting an internet site um like you know what advice do you have regarding journalism as it pertains to the digital world? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, th- I think there's two big pieces, and I think one is kind of the the obvious one, which is, um, you know, be authentic, be yourself. We hear that from a lot of people, whether it's an influencer or a brand or anything. It's just don't try to deviate from what you do. You know, I think a lot of media has struggled with that. When, when you see somebody doing so well at something, you kind of try to see, like, well, what can we do like that? And that doesn't always work. And I think that stands for every other company, any industry you can be in. Just because somebody else is succeeding in something doesn't mean that you can just sort of follow in their footsteps and expect to have the same result. You have to figure out how do you get inspired by that to reach your audience in a way that they expect to be reached. Um, so that, I think, is, is, is the number one rule of, of media, of any industry, anything. Um, the number two thing for, for media, especially in particular is, is just, you you can't be complacent. You know, you can't, um, you can't be satisfied where you're at and, and be ready to just rest on that, that laurel and and not try to figure out new ways to innovate. Um, which is, which is tough because it's hard every few weeks to try to think about, well, how do I innovate today? How do I innovate today? And trying to reach that every day 
does get to be kind of exhausting after a while. Um, but you know, some days it strikes you, some days it doesn't. And, and you have to be also happy with knowing that, you know, you will figure out something as long as you're committed to actually trying to continue to, to make yourself better every step of the way. Um, but yeah, I mean, the second that you sit back and, and think that everything is good and everything's been solved and everything is fine is, is the second that, you know, you end up, uh, finding that somebody else is doing it all better, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Complacency is like a one-way path down. So wh- what do you do when other competitors copy you? And you've in- you guys have innovated in a lot of different kinds of ways on social media, um, throughout the website, all, all the different websites. Um, what's your strategy for addressing that? Well, I think we've, we want to figure out how to move forward in ourselves. You know, I, I think you know, like I said, we can't really rest in what we ever have done. And we want to figure out like, what's the next step for us? How do we, how do we continue to differentiate ourselves? Um, and you know, that's talking to our team. That's talking to, again, like more junior employees, like I said, talking to everybody and figuring out what is the right move for us moving forward. How do we make this even better than where we are right now? Um, so we, we look within more than anything else. We, we don't tend to really look outside of ourselves because we know that there's a lot of self-improvement, you know, it's kind of like, when you grow up as a kid and it's like, how do I make myself better? How do I get my grades better? I'm not yeah. going to compare myself to my classmates. I'm going to compare myself to myself. Um, and that's sort of the way we look at things. Yeah. Um, so Lindsay, I wanted to ask you a little bit of a more content specific question for Bustle, which is, um, can you tell us about some of the most viral articles and stories that you guys have ever written? I know the, like the number one most viral story I think was January of 2017, which was the inauguration. Okay. And um, many people online, slash millions of people online, were bashing Barron Trump. And as much as we can disagree with the administration or the politics and human rights violations, those are all things, but Barron has nothing to do with this. Let's leave him out. So we covered it from that angle, and it just flew. It took off because it resonated with everyone. You know, we, there was a moment of humanity, I think, that a lot of other publishers of the time, especially liberal-leaning ones, weren't really touching. And we were able to say, like, this is not something we stand for no matter what. Um, and that was the number one, I think. I forget how many uniques, but it was uh, consistently at the top. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite viral articles that we had was one of our first, actually, um, written by uh, one of our fashion editors, uh, Olivia Munter. And it was about, you know, the like what, what she shoots on Instagram versus what's happening in real life. Um, and it was this really cool juxtaposition to kind of showcase like, you know, this, this perfect image that you're seeing took a lot to, to accomplish. And back then that was in 2014, I think. So mm-hmm. not many people were really kind of talking about that yet. Instagram was pretty newly popular and, and, you know, it was very aspirational still. Um, now that's kind of old hat to talk about in some ways, but like, it was really amazing to kind of see that and be like, oh my gosh, yeah, this takes a lot of work. Um, and that was another bit of, uh, of relatability that really connected to our readers and, and kind of showed them that like, oh yeah, like I feel the same way and I'm taking photos of myself or like, oh, now I know that when I look at this person who looks so perfect, it's not, it's not it's always. It's the thousand selfies with yeah. the yeah. hundred hours of video edit or photo editing and the Photoshop and the filter. And it takes a lot of time yeah. for, for anyone who, who tries to get a good selfie. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so that was one of my favorite first, first stories that went truly viral for us. And then Gabby Moss's experiment where a features editor who rode the subway uh, for a week as a manspreader. And I, I want to say it was right before the term manspreader was coined even, and I'm not even sure if we used it in the article. We might have. 
but um, just to have that flood of people being like, yes, I see them all the time with their legs spread open and not caring and not <laughs> understanding that they're taking up other people's spaces and all that. And she nailed it and she had great photos and great commentary and it's a nice feminist take on sort of this mundane uh, commute that we all, or most of us in New York have. And yeah. she, she, she perfectly executed. It's great. So how do you guys balance um, the concept of a clearly feminist bent um, with the idea of being impartial and journalistic and sort of where, what, you know, what's your take on that and what's the brand's philosophy on that? Well, we're a site for women, first and foremost. And so we are supporting anything that supports women. So we're still very journalistic. We still, you know, obviously we um, are, make sure we're impartial in, in the proper circumstances, but at the same time, we also are, are going to be reporting our stories for women first. So um, we take a stand in that regard of, you know, whatever is good for women is good for us. And we're making, I mean, it's clear anybody who reads us knows that. That's not something that is, is, is a secret to any of our readers. Um, but that's really the, the biggest way that we're um, taking a stand is just for women, which yeah. I would hope that most people But what about if women with. disagree? I mean, there are a lot of topics on which women are, you know, and we, we, very polarized. And we definitely uh, showcase many sides to any, any, any arguments. Um, you know, sometimes it's, it's again, if we're, if we're supporting women, we make sure for any, any sort of, you know, uh, legislation that, that would not favor women, we're going to take a stand there. But, um, you know, when it comes to just general disagreements in terms of anything from, you know, pop culture to beauty to, to you know, some things in politics as well, we're making sure that we're showcasing all different sides. Um, we want all perspectives to come into bustle and kind of share their viewpoints, their background, um, and just our be-all, end-all is just, it has to support women. Yeah, I like that. I think one of the most powerful things about the bustle and the related sites um, is that it's a real marketplace of ideas. You don't go there to get told what you already know. You go there to learn some different things and not everything you agree with, but it's all interesting. Mm -hmm. So I, I like that. That's the best takeaway. So great. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I guess I got the message. Yeah. I got the memo. Um, so what do you guys have planned for the future of Bustle? How, how are you going to innovate now? It's like, you know, We've already done social media. We've already done digital content. And we've already done clickbait and, you know, personal stories and blogs and podcasts. And it's all been done. So now what's left to do? So the thing that we're most excited about right now is we um, recently launched uh, digital issues. And so it's kind of almost taking digital and bringing it back to, to print in a weird way. Um, you know, one thing that we noticed is we would be creating so much good content and putting it out on the site and there'd be no place to put it over the course of a few days. There'd be no shelf life attached to it. And, and so our solve is to um, put everything in, in a, uh, a complete issue online where people can come back to it throughout the month or throughout the quarter and be able to see that work more often than they would if they're just clicking into the site on a daily basis. So um, we launched one with Bustle um, starring Samira Wiley of Orange is the New Black back in April. Shortly thereafter, we also had one from Elite Daily starring uh, Kelsey Ballerini, the, the singer. And then we just today actually launched our first romper uh, issue surrounding um, you know, women who are postpartum who use their bodies for uh, their work and how they relate to their bodies, which is a really cool concept. Um, and they look beautiful. 
um, great like photo shoots, which are amazing and um, really cool features as well. So we're really excited to kind of see how that develops over the next few months. Um, it's really kind of a new way of looking at digital media and, and bringing attention to really prestige content on digital, which um, has had a hard time kind of coming to the forefront when, when you still have uh, print publications publishing, you know, really great content as well. So we're really excited about that. And being able to sort of adapt to the next platform. So Kate gave the example earlier about Instagram stories. And that was something that Instagram just came out with. And a lot of publishers uh, had to scramble to find a strategy for it. And so did we to an extent, but we landed on something that really was impactful and unique. And I think what um, gives us the advantage is the next time something like that happens, because it's gonna, um, we're gonna get in a room with those junior employees who know the platform so well. And like Kate said, can give us the ideas and we can all brainstorm together on ways that we can take advantage or use the best of our ability the next way of reaching a newer audience. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And then you also have to figure out how to not be too beholden to any one given platform, right? right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. if one of them goes away, you don't want your brand to go away. Right. Mm -hmm. So just a personal question, I'm curious, what percentage of the media that you guys take in is online on a computer, via your phone, or print? Like how would you break down those three categories? So for me, it's pretty much, if I'm not counting where I'm at work, when I'm at work, it's pretty much all on my phone. Um, if I'm you know, counting work, then it would be probably be a 50-50. Uh, print, I, I, I have to say I don't read print at all. Um, I read it on airplanes. That's my, my one, I'll go and I'll buy a magazine and I'll just read it, you know, kind of like get myself into the experience nostalgia. of not being connected yet and nostalgia and everything. Um, I used to buy New Yorker to read on planes and now I'm just like, you know what, Us Weekly, I'm just yeah. going for it, <laughs> I don't even care. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't really consume on anything but, but mobile throughout the day. And I, and I feel like I'm a true millennial in the sense where I, I look at, I see everything through platforms. I don't ever type in any sort of site, um, to get anything that I, I want to read. It's, it's really purely off of anything I see on Twitter um, or, or Facebook or Instagram now. So it's all social links from your phone to linking you out to the world. Yes, for me so personally. Fascinating, yeah. How do you what feel? do you think, Lindsay? Uh, I think when I, well, so at work, it's obviously all desktop. I try not to be on my phone reading uh, after work or on the weekends because, you know, you just have to give your eyes a break sometimes. So I do pick up magazines, you know, New Yorker, Us Weekly, L, uh, W sometimes, just to feel the paper, smell the smells of it, and read some great content from um, all those great print publishers. Uh, I certainly would never open my laptop to read anything on the weekend. That just seems uh, sacrilegious and <laughs> sucked into uh, different worlds that I don't want to get into on the weekend. So um, I think I'm a little old school that I do enjoy the print still. Okay, I like it too, but you know, it's but I, I do find myself on my phone all the time. And it's amazing how you can really conduct life and even conduct business on your phone these days. It's like, what a world. I know, it's a little overbearing, but but it's good. It's good in the end. You know, it's like, it's yeah. a, it's a it, it gets to you after a while. Like you said, you have to kind of like let your eyes go a little bit. Um, I'm not as good as, it, at, as you are. Well, that's my zen attitude. Yeah. We touched on that earlier. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, as a thank you for being here, you guys are so funny and smart and interesting, but as a thank you for being here, um, We'd love to gift you any product from Scientific Beauty. So, you know, just say the word of anything that you want or you're interested in. 
and it would be my pleasure to gift it to you as like a little thank you and token of appreciation for being here. So generous. Thank you so much. You. That's amazing. I think I'm going to do that lip stuff because okay. of the, the lip plumper. Yeah. Okay, yeah. no problem. Mm -hmm. Thank you. How's interesting either that the eyelash or the skin serum. Okay, well, we'll talk about it. All yeah, but um, and then finally, since this is beauty bosses, we like to close by asking all of our guests, "What does beauty mean to you, and what does being a boss mean to you?" You start. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll start with the boss part. Um, I think a great listener is a great boss, and anyone who has an open mind and can hear different perspectives and ultimately use all that information to come up with a conclusion that is uh, helpful and sentient, I think is um, two of the most important things about being a boss. Now, what is beauty? Of course, outward beauty is the most important thing. We tell everyone that. Um, no. Um, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> no, and that's our hard line. What's on the outside counts. Um, confidence, we've heard that a thousand times. It's a little stale at this point, but I think it, it's pretty true. Um, you know, knowing yourself, Wit, I think, is beautiful. Um, an appreciation for nature, I think, is beautiful. Those Does that really do nice. those qualify? Does yeah, that, that totally qualifies. <laughs> I like hearing how everybody says something different. I mean, it's I like all of that stuff. Cool. Yeah, that's great. What do you think? Um, so for me, a boss is uh, you know the ability to be flexible and every and and I think you know definitely Lindsay's a much better listener than I am. She definitely nails that part really really well. She does. I tell her that all the time, but <laughs> she does um, tell me that all the time. But being flexible, I think, is is a big thing. Being able to be adaptable to people around you, and and in some sense, listen, listen to to what people need, and and be able to service that. And being a boss is not telling people what to do. So, uh, I make sure I try to live up to that. And you know, beauty, uh, beauty is a deep dish pizza sometimes. Yeah. But, <laughs> no, but um, you know, I think beauty is is being able to kind of truly get past what people are telling you you need to be and this is such a long-winded answer um but you know i do think that there is so much pressure to kind of be the certain person and and being able to truly you know surpass that and understand that you know it is it is more what's what's within and, and how you react to people and how you how you work with people and how good of a person you are um and i think that that is this what i see as as beauty um but yeah, it's tough because it's also like, you know, we're also still sort of trained to kind of look at ourselves like, oh, I'm not beautiful. I think that's right. not me yeah. or whatever. So coming out, it's, it's an interesting exercise to even ask, like, what is beauty? Because it's sort of like, well, not me. You know, like, so what is that thing that's not me? So I think we're all, everybody's still discovering that. Like, what is yeah. what is beauty to them and how it relates to them? Do it's you guys consider yourselves some um, feminists? Oh yeah. my God, yeah. 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 What do you think, what does feminism mean? Feminism is, is the belief in equality for women. And that's that's really yeah. what it is. More gender I, equality. Gender equality, yeah. And I think that there's a big misunderstanding of that that phrase, and there has been over the years. That it took so long for people to say I'm a, I'm a feminist, and and you know it was so long attributed to just you know being somebody who was just a man hating person or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's just not that's not what it is, and that's not what it's ever been. Um, but now I think there's been more discussion about it, and it's really been brought to the forefront. Thank God. And now people are understanding that feminism just means equality. Um, and it's easier for people to actually latch onto that phrase and say, yes, that's what I am. And yeah, then seeing it on t-shirts now, like yeah. that wasn't around five years ago. Now there's no, many, totally. yeah. And I was like, that is 
Great. I mean, I remember even back in when we had just started, it was either 2013 or 2014, Beyonce did that performance at either the Grammys or somewhere else where she was in front of a oh, yeah, um, yeah, screen yeah. that said feminist. And that was a huge deal back then. Everyone said, oh my God, she's proclaiming she's a feminist. This is huge. And it's so silly to think back yeah. about that now, especially seeing her trajectory and where she is in her career and her life. It's like to think that we would have even thought like, oh wow, that's incredible that she's willing to do that. Right. It's, and now it's it seems like a course like why wouldn't she say that right? yeah of course so i have a question we were supposed to end at the beauty boss's question but you guys are really <laughs> interesting so i'm gonna make it go a little bit longer that's my executive privilege right now <laughs> but, <a> um, boss. <laughs> thanks <laughs> like a boss right um what do you guys think about what why do we shame women who get plastic surgery you know and i'm i'm a plastic surgeon obviously mm-hmm. full disclosure you knew that um but why do we do that? Yeah, it's it's a hard question. I think that there's a lot of uh, you know, there's a lot of like you're supposed to love yourself for who you are, right? Like that's kind of the 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 weird thing growing up is you're taught, you know, you need to be beautiful, but love yourself the way that you are, and that's often at odds with each other when you're kind of thinking about yourself and you think maybe I want I I want this to look better. I feel more comfortable in my skin if if I was you know able to look like X Y Z. But, um, but it's, this, it's this weird dichotomy that you have to constantly deal with for, uh, as a woman. Um, and so there's just no winning in some ways. Like, and that's the point, of, like, as women, it's kind of hard to say. Like, sometimes there's just no, there's no winning in the way that people are, um, you know, viewing you and talking about you and saying what you should do versus what you shouldn't do. There's, there's always a, a downside to anything you should decide about yourself and any sort of stand that you should take. So I think that there is sometimes is shame associated with, you know, you want, you want to look a certain way, you want to, to, you know, do this to yourself, but you should love the way you are. And, and, you know, it's, it's not right to not love the way that you are. Um, so it's kind of this hard toss up of like, what do you do? Do you kind of like, you know, say, no, I have to be comfortable with myself. Or do you say this one thing would make me more comfortable with myself? And so I want to do that. Um, and also furthermore, what business is it of anyone else? And yeah, I and think, that's very yeah. true too. It's like you know, yeah. if, if somebody wants to do something, who are we to to second guess them and say that that's the wrong thing to do? And we're dealing with judgment so much as women that it's like, you know, that that's something that we shouldn't even get involved in. There's so many other things that we can tackle before yeah. that. Well said. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of assumption about what's going on in other people's heads that we need to stop doing. Um, you know, if the assumption is that they're doing it for the patriarchy, that's just as terrible as assuming that they're doing it for another reason. You know, like we just don't know what our, what's going through anyone's head. So to put that on them and, and tell them why they're deciding to do something is just not where I come from. It's not where our content comes from. Yeah. That's just something that I, that I think about often because um, I think there's a, the prevailing story for so long has been that, you know, wanting to change anything about yourself or, or really not being satisfied with anything about your external physical persona is sad and a shame and you shouldn't do that and feel that way and um, that it's anti-feminist to you know want to do something in that realm but as I've become immersed in this life and career um, it really becomes a lot more nuanced where you think that you know it's feminist to want to do whatever you want to do and to leave other women alone if they want to do something. 
to make themselves feel better. So I was just curious since you guys are sort of the number one engagement, 80 million <laughs> influencing, you know, world authorities on, um, on uh, feminism in this digital era. I think it's a really interesting conversation. Yeah, we're definitely anti-shame in any way. Like, yeah. you know, there's no there's no point in shaming women. We're, we're all in this together, so. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. This has been so interesting. I could keep you here all night, but we won't. <laughs> um, and uh, I can't wait to see all of the new ways that Bustle's going to innovate and read all the great stuff that you guys are putting into the world. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. It's great being here. Yeah, thanks.